Hello and welcome to the Wanderings Podcast. This is Pedro Bonato. And in this episode, I wanted to share with you a conversation I had for another project I'm working on that is a series of interviews with musicians from different cultures called The DNA of Music. This episode was originally released in the beginning of the pandemic and the video version of it is available on my website at pedrobonato.com DNA. But I wanted to share this conversation, which is very powerful. It was done in the beginning of the lockdowns and for the past two years, it seems like many of us have been on a standstill and this conversation with singer and flamenco dancer Tamar Ilana is very inspirational. It shows the grit and power of an artist trying to adapt to new situations, which I think is the very nature of flamenco. And I think you will enjoy it. So here is my conversation with Tamar Ilana. So I guess we can actually, in this case, get started with talking about what's going on like sure. right now. And uh, I'm trying to keep this super, like sometimes we'll talk about how did you start? And uh, in this case, it's cool to get like uh, on the ground running because you, as you mentioned, as we were off air just a little bit while back, <laughs> you sure. say that like, you were super busy with projects and stuff. So like, so uh, before first, Thank you for being on this little improvised show of the DNA of music in quarantine with musicians from all over the world at their homes trying to cop to their awesome. pants down, so to speak. So now having to Thank be you. creative and improvise. So how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah. So you're so, so, we're so professional and so nice. Yeah. Oh, but uh, so you are, uh, so you, you said like you were, of course, lots of gigs canceled and everything, and you were in Toronto, yeah. and you were, of course, one of the most, I think, one of the most active and most uh, entrepreneurial, like, world music uh, people that I know, so uh, it was cool wow, to, thanks. yeah, to, like, check with you and see how you were dealing with this, sort of, like, this first responders of uh, world music trying to help the community oh, and I everything, love it. so, yeah. yeah, so how's it going there? So, like you said, yeah, all my gigs are canceled, like local gigs um, from like So Far and Artery to like Kerner Hall gigs to to I was supposed to tour. I was supposed to go to South Korea, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> Soul Music Week, that's can't or postponed. We'll see. Um, I was supposed to go to Europe with Dimitri, actually, in June and July. We're going to do Wales and Barcelona with like an electronic project that we have. Oh, okay. And then that's canceled. And then I was supposed to go to like Houston and Washington DC with another band called Jaffa Road. So everything is just canceled and all my kids like teaching classes, everything, schools, obviously. So everything got canceled at least until July. Right. So yeah, so, except for um, some of my classes at the Academy of Spanish Dance went online. So right. it's like a reduced fee because it's online. But so I'm still teaching like a few classes a week there. And even the kids on Zoom, like I teach a bunch of little kids. So I'm like, oh, they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, they're so funny. Then they're so focused. I thought they were going to be a disaster on Zoom, but they're like kind of more focused on Zoom than they are in the classroom, which is yeah, a surprise. It's, it's, 
it's it's unprecedented whatever is going on now like if you can see the silver lining it's uh, a lot of people that were like for musicians that i see like they're shy or they i don't have an online presence i just do gigs yeah. suddenly everybody's doing lives everybody's trying to do teaching online and actually taking the three minutes to learn the 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 the, the, the tools yeah. to do it so it's really really you know, cool. it's pretty cool yeah. So I'm teaching some singing. I have a private student also that I do dance, like Shal Manton with. So yeah. I'm doing some teaching online, which is cool. But then uh, also I started a program called Urgent.ca. Yes, uh -huh. Yeah. So with other members of the community, Mark from Lemon Bucket and Josh also from Lemon Bucket. And uh, they were also both in Ventanas originally when I founded it. And also uh, head of productions is Kathleen Ryan, who works with the Junos and iHeartRadio um, and other amazing things. And also uh, Oksana doing design. So really the five of us kind of it started also with Alex Bordokas, but he has a venue that he's still um, dealing with. So he couldn't um, mm -hmm. really stick around. But so we started it like to just try and gather funds and pay artists for online streaming. And yeah. I think we were kind of like for the first wave of people that were doing it. So we did a GoFundMe campaign. So far we've raised around $16,000. Oh, it's great. We're doing our seventh and eighth show this Friday, hip hop special. What? What up? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we're doing like GTA artists for now. Hopefully if we get more funny and we can do more, then we'll do like, I mean, the world is the limit with the internet right now, right? Of so course. we could do Canadians or, you know, Toronto musicians stuck abroad, just saying or we could do an, an international. But for now we're doing local and we started in empty venues, like doing shows in empty venues, Yes, which is pretty amazing um, to no audience. I mean, to a worldwide audience, but no physical audience. And we did two shows, Misha Bruger Grossman and Mosquito Bar. Yes. Um, but then of course, with the new uh, health protocols, we had to stop doing that. Um, but we've had, you know, some support and, um, and shout outs from the, the Union, Toronto Musicians Association 149 and uh, the City of Toronto Music Office and um, Toronto Arts Council have all kind of uh, put the word out and helped us make the call out for musicians. So that's pretty amazing. And then we'll see um, how that goes. It's been like so much work and a really yeah. and a learning curve because now we're on the other side, right? I'm no longer a musician applying for something. I am like accepting applications and that is like a whole other world that um, it's really interesting, but it's, it's difficult to like develop the, a smooth streamlined process that is like easy for everybody yeah. and takes everyone into consideration, but is efficient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so and it's a huge learning curve. Yeah. But like from what I saw, like from afar, what you guys were doing there, like, and I know that both you and Mark are very like uh, entrepreneurial and I know basically all the people that are involved in this, it's like you guys make it happen. And uh, I really liked Crazy. the... Yeah, and having the like GoFundMe and trying to get like a bigger, like more like corporate sponsor for, sponsors for things instead of just being, oh, the end is nigh, oh my God, what are we gonna do? You guys are trying to do something. We're gonna have links here and here and everywhere, I guess, so, to, to get here, this. Here, uh, here, yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, like to, it's, I think it's the, the most, <laughs> and like not only having like, uh, oh, pay attention to me, 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 like it's like, oh, let's see how we can uh, arrange something for local. Uh, artists to to have like even a global reach and uh, i think it would be a cool learning curve even for you to have this opportunity of curating content and dealing with uh, that's crazy egos technology and every and learning everything on the, on the way yeah. but i think that's from what i know from you it's something that like it's you are no 
uh, no stranger to like learning things on the go and uh, taking advantage of whatever is going on yeah. and trying to do. So let's talk for the people that don't. You always have to let's, say yes. Let's go back a little bit. So we, we introduced a few things. You're a dancer, you're a singer, you're a band leader, you are doing Olé. like, uh, you're, yeah, teaching and, um, and uh, teaching both like singing and dancing and all sorts of things. So let's talk, let's roll a little bit back and talk a little bit, yes, basically, with the flamenco hands. <laughs> people have jazz hands, people have flamenco hands. <laughs> and I'm trying not to touch my face also, because supposedly we're not supposed to touch my face. Yeah, and then me talking to Demetrius, the previous guest, I was like this the whole time. Oh, no. Uh, anyway, but that's segue. So let's talk a little bit about, like, what, like, you, Lou. So tell a little bit about, like, what you do and, like, how you started, like, what's, uh, before the pandemic and the zombies took place, what, uh, well, like, what were you up to? <laughs> sure. I mean, I was kind of up to the same thing, music and, and arts, right? Music and dance, just obviously not in my house, <laughs> around the whole world. So you've interviewed my mom before, Dr. Yes. Judith Cohen, in the past, in a previous podcast. Mm -hmm. Link. No. <laughs> yes. yeah, it was a very cool conversation. And, uh, it's one of the yeah, most downloaded. Awesome. Like people just keep finding it on Google. It's really funny. Oh, it's yeah. so amazing. I'm yeah, it's tell really that. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. cool. I want to do like a whole podcast series on her. It'd be so crazy. And her life would be nuts. But anyways, okay, that's for another time. So yeah, I grew up with her. She's an ethnomusicologist, and I grew up uh, singing and traveling and accompanying her on her fieldwork research all throughout the Mediterranean, like all around the Mediterranean. So the Balkans, Greece, Turkey, Israel, Spain, Portugal, Italy, uh, Morocco, um, all those places since I was like four or five years old. And then I, I started recording with her when I was around five. Um, did some, was on all her albums, you know, when I was five, eight, 14, 19 kind of thing. And then I was like, I want to be normal <laughs> and not do this. <laughs> I'm going to work nine to five, get a real job have a car, all these things, right? Because um, yeah. most of my family, like my cousins and my aunts and uncles and stuff, they all lived in the suburbs, they had two cars, all these things. And I was like, I want that life. I don't want to sleep on floors and bus stations and hitchhike anymore in random mountain villages. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> at the same time, I started dancing flamenco when I was like seven here in Toronto, because I saw a dancer called Esmeralda Enrique mm -hmm. dance. <laughs> and uh, I was like I want to do that and my mom's like go talk to her so I did so uh, simultaneously like parallel I was dancing flamenco in Toronto and going to Spain uh, and Europe but a lot of Spain and Portugal to gather old traditional songs in the villages with my mom and then sing and perform them um, in festivals like medieval festivals or things like that around Spain so and I was learning Spanish I learned Spanish and Portuguese just from traveling um, anyways then you know long story short sort of <laughs> I, uh, after, after uh, I spent third year of uh, university, well, I should say that in order to be normal, I decided to do a degree in, a degree in biology at the okay. University of Toronto. So I loved science, I loved math, uh, I loved my biology teacher in high school. Mm -hmm. And so I went to U of T and I did, um, I majored in biology and minored in Spanish to get honors, you know, easy minor. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did four years of, of biology, which really, I think, kind of changed the way that I think about the world. Yes. You know, I'm always thinking about, yeah, how, like, why, why things are happening from a biological perspective instead of just only a human or a political 
uh, perspective, but like the greater, you know, like the pandemic right now, it, to me, it's very interesting. Um, I haven't done any research or drawn any lines. It's just like an interesting coincidence in my mind that just when we were saying, oh, climate change, like we need to stop everything or else, you know, suddenly we have to stop everything. You know what I mean? Like that is fascinating mm -hmm. to, to me. And when I go outside on my balcony, like last night, I went outside and all the lights of all the buildings were like crystal clear. Like I got, you know, new glasses or something and I don't wear glasses. But mm -hmm. I was like, what's happening? And the air is actually getting cleaner. So like that kind of thing is very interesting to me. And the why and wherefore of like population increase and decrease and all these things, I think of more of like from a biological perspective. So really tr uh, train my mind in a certain way to think about the world differently. So that was the biggest, you know, effect of doing that. But then third year of university, I went to Barcelona to study, did an exchange there. And uh, at a flamenco dance school that I was going to, La Tani, mm -hmm. the, I'd go every day for like multiple hours a day. And then I'd go to a squat community and practice afterwards. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, in that year there, the, the husband of my teacher said, oh, you sing like Sephardic music and all this stuff why don't you take a singing workshop with my sister? And my sister was a famous flamenco singer, Monte Cortes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's amazing. And so I started singing flamenco there. So I'd been dancing all my life. I'd been singing other things. I spoke Spanish, so it kind of fit that I should start singing flamenco. When I came back to Toronto around 2007, I think, there were really, at the time, there had been singers here in the past, but at the time, there was no active flamenco singer in the community, really. So people were doing shows with just dance and guitar with the missing link of singing, which is very strange in flamenco. Oh, yeah. So they would, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you dancing to? Mm -hmm. Like, is that the, anyway, it's a strange thing. Uh, in Spain, that would never happen. They would drop the dance before they would drop the singing, mm -hmm. right? But here, people want to see the dance. Anyway, so people were like, oh, Tamar, can you sing for us? Because there's no, there's no singers, no flamenco singers. So I started really becoming like a flamenco singer. And then later I went back to Seville in Spain and I went for a year of, of training at an academy of, you know, flamenco, flamenco academy, mm -hmm. uh, Fundacion Cristina Jeren in, the, in Seville. And I did like nine to five, you know, for a year at a flamenco <laughs> school. Believe it or not, nine o'clock flamenco is like not a good idea. Uh, anything nine o'clock. <laughs> Especially because the teachers like encourage you to go party. They're like, real flamenco happens in the middle of the night. You have to go in the street and party, and then you have to show up in class at nine. And we're like, Ay. And we're like oh my god. <laughs> anyway, then I went back and forth. It was like, yeah, it's crazy. And then I went back and forth like a few times to Seville for a few months after that, and studied with different teachers and. Rocio Marquez and Esperanza Fernandez, Arcángel, like really like the best singers uh, in Spain. And uh, then I'm like telling you my whole life story here. No, no, but that's what you, I want. You asked. <laughs> I, I was telling them like, uh, we know each other for so long. And then sometimes uh, we don't hear those. We don't give permission to like tell those things. And then there are like so interesting tangents and connections and things. And that's sort of like the idea of like me putting my kicking my butt into gear and getting to interview all those amazing people that I know to tell the stories. Uh, and people are at home, so they will have to watch or listen or do their dishes and hear Tamar's stories because I find even from this idea of like ideas spreading and uh, like viruses sometimes, right? Like uh, even like showing one little hook, like sometimes someone 
is in like, again as you were like oh i mean i want to have like this normal life or in this case like uh, and then going to biology or going to th i study physics demi study physics like a bunch of people like were in that and oh there is a way to get into like uh like the music of the world from um whatever hook you were into so i think it's always mm. interesting to get the stories we think our stories are not uh interesting yeah. but they will be sometimes though even if they're the inspirational legend for one person it's already worth sharing it so anyway that's Aww, my hope that's so beautiful pedro uh, i try my oh, best yeah, i forgot to say before after university before i went to seville i'd actually worked for two years and nine to five in renewable energy <laughs> in green How energy like um i mean i learned a lot of admin stuff that i use to this day you know right. for coordinating projects um like board meetings and mailchimp and like all these very useful admin skills right uh -huh. and uh i coordinated a campaign with like um ontario sustainable energy association and environmental defense and greenpeace and the david suzuki foundation and all these things and it was to increase feed-in tariffs which is the money that people get if they have renewable energy sources like solar panels on their roof the amount of money that they get when they feed that energy into the grid right it was so low that it would take you like a hundred years to make back your money so yeah. it was like there was no incentive for people in ontario to do it because it's like mm -hmm. why <laughs> so we increased the fees it's called the green energy act and we like lobbied the government to increase those fees and it passed it took like two years and then they offered me a promotion and i was like ah! and i ran away <laughs> <laughs> i quit I was like, I saw like the 10 years of climbing the ladder and like all this, I think it was like a beautiful place to work. It was in 401 Richmond where my flamenco studio was. So at lunch, I'd like escape and practice in the basement. But like, it was like all these plants, everyone was super nice. It's not for profit world. Like the goals were, the morals were good. Everything was good. But I just like felt very fake in like the office setting. And so mm -hmm. I had my like normal life that I wanted, right? I had, my, I mm -hmm. owned a car. I lived at like Queen and Bathurst. I was like working nine to five. Like I had regular income, all these things. But yeah. then when I got offered a promotion, I like, cause I started feeling very fake, like shaking people's hands and stuff. I was like, don't care, don't care, don't care. But really I had to be like, hi, hi. Right? Mm -hmm. So when they offered me a promotion, I just got like anxiety of picturing myself in this world, like climbing the ladder for 10 years. And so I quit, I sold my car uh, and I moved to, that's when I moved to Seville and studied flamenco full time. Oh, wow. Uh -huh. yeah. So it was like, that, okay, uh... never mind. I'm gonna accept hmm. my destiny as to be an artist. Fine. Yeah, and uh, well, <laughs> my mom yeah. was like, "What? You said you'd never do this." Da, da, da. <laughs> Damn it! Like my inner child was like, "You promised me you'd be normal." I'm like, "I'm sorry. <laughs> this is normal for me." <laughs> I had an inner debate for a little while. Yeah, but, I think uh, yeah. it's so interesting you say this because, like, I guess. At least for my friends that stayed, like I, I lived in a like somewhat it's the size of Toronto, but a somewhat smaller town, like in Brazil, and um, like my friends that are still like living there, like the I don't know lawyers or engineers or things like that, and they have let's say a more corporate normal life. They all there is always this uh, uh, how can you say this like when they fantasize that this artist life also, Pedro, you are this photographer and musician and this, and you travel and do this. And I'm like, yeah, and half of the time you don't know if you're going to 
be still living here or if uh, like uh, can I pay my rent and this month I can pay my rent for the for the year next year I don't know where I'm gonna live and all those things and and uh, a lot of uh, like grants are not accepted or this all sorts of like not glamour part of an artist's life and uh, in your case it just reminded me this idea that we're sort of like always trying to escape those things right like this the, mm -hmm. whatever reality we have like oh you had like, this traveling with your cool mom and she is cool so like uh, <laughs> like that she has like all this as i grew older she became cooler oh i see mm -hmm. uh -huh. when yeah. i was a kid it was like super embarrassing you know what i mean i'd <laughs> oh, be like sure. oh yeah i can i can imagine bad yeah. Yeah, but then as I grew older, I was like, when I was a kid, I was like, I was like mortified. They'd like play like, we won this like CBC Radio Canada French award for one of the albums. I was in French. I was like in grade three or something, and they played it on the radio. I'm on the school PA, and I was just like mortified. I just wanted to like sink into the floor. And even in high school, I didn't really tell people like what I did in the summer. Like, what did you do in the summer? I'm like, nothing. You know. <laughs> I also went to horseback camp, so sometimes I talk about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and then as I grew older, like it started to become cooler. People were like, "What? You travel in the summers? You speak all these languages? You sing these things?" Because I wasn't allowed TV when I was a kid, or oh. like any like pop culture stuff, like nothing. So I really was like out of the loop as a kid, kind of with like TV hmm. shows or or you know, like no Barbies, like nothing that was like. You know, I, I was I watched Lacho Drum like on repeat. You know, <laughs> I know it inside out. I know every oh. scene. I know every song. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, but when you when you're older, that's like suddenly cool. Everyone's like, oh, that's so cool that you had no TV. When you're a kid, it's not cool at all. Or they're like, oh, that's so cool they traveled so much. When you're a kid, when you're a kid, it's like not ideal. As you come back, all the social dynamics are changed and everything in your school, and you've been gone for like a month, and you know everything changes so fast when you're a kid. But then now, now it's cool. And like, also when I was a kid, people would be like, you'll appreciate it when you're older. And I was like, no, no. And now I'm like, <laughs> older is in a hundred years. I want <sighs> now. You were right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean anything when you're a kid. But even though, you know, it ended up to be kind of true. Yeah. Now, but like, I feel like I can go anywhere. I can adapt to any situation. I can live anywhere and mm -hmm. I'd be okay. Yeah. So and uh, so one thing that I wanted to know, like, cause I know that like a lot of like Sephardic music and all like that influence came from like a lot of the work that your I assume like that your mom was doing and that got like infused into your interest and of course you decided to like go for it and that actually especially the Toronto community started broadening to like uh, like uh, I don't know Macedonian music and uh, Balkan stuff and uh, all the art and flamenco and all those other things how was your like your interest in terms of music did it start before Ventana's, like the spread of interests or or was it something when you started the band? I think with Ven like, so when I started Ventana's when I moved back from Seville, so in like 2011, after oh. I quit work and then I went to flamenco school for a year and then I came back and started Ventana's. And when I start, when I was living in Seville, I kept seeing all these pictures in of the Toronto community of like all these people I knew from different places in the city like in the same picture I was like what I want to be in that picture mm -hmm. and I feel like I came back and I like dove into the middle of the picture I'm like hi I'm in the picture now you know <laughs> like literally <laughs> yeah because I had been playing um 
I had been dancing flamenco as I was involved in the Toronto flamenco community. I had been, and I had now been singing for a few years. Um, I had also been playing maracatu in Toronto since around 2006, right? So it's like 14 yeah. years of maracatu. Oh, oh, wow. yeah. mm -hmm. And then uh, with Alini and Alex, um, when it was the first maracatu group called, Uman, uh, it's called Nunca Anchis. Um, and then that was because a friend in high school's sister used to play and she was like, you need to come and you need to come. And she finally convinced me to come and I just joined. So I was doing maracatu, I was in the flamenco community and then also through Kensington Market and stuff, I'd, I'd met Tongi and Oscar and Shemez. Shemez's wife dances flamenco, Shemez from La Palette and Drome. Oh, uh -huh. His wife dances flamenco. We used to throw flamenco parties at the old La Palette that used to be in Kensington Market. So all these people I knew from like different places mm -hmm. and when I was away I started seeing them together so in one picture so I'd see like Shemez and Tangi and like Dennis and Shirley from the flamenco world and like Alex from the Maracatu world like all in one picture I'm like what the hell is happening like everything's coming together so uh when I, ca I came back I realized this movement had begun in my absence called Fedora Upside Down mm -hmm. right that also Mark who I'm working with now with Urgent and Lemon Bucket Dre and Tangi had, had started and the idea was to like merge all these communities. Like, so if, you know, there was a flamenco show, not just flamenco people went. If there was a maracatu show, not just Brazilian people went. If mm -hmm. there was a you know, Ukrainian show, not just you could, but if there was a singer songwriter or jazz, like, so we started mixing all the communities, doing collaborations together, doing festivals, doing shows. And that movement happened for about two years. And it really like, that's where Ventanas was born out of. You know, it was like Mark from Lumbucket, Dennis from the flamenco world, Josh, who I also knew from like the, the kind of Balkan Sephardic yeah. David Bookbinder world, I, I also knew him from before. Um, and that was kind of the original crew. And then just when I was like, I need an oud player, you know, because I grew up doing Sephardic music with my mom from Turkey and Greece and Morocco. And there was always an oud and a darbuka. And that's really like what I grew up, uh, as, like my mom plays some oud and it was really mm -hmm. like, it's like my favorite instrument. It's the king. Yes. All instruments <laughs> and um, the sound of the soul yeah so i was like i need an oud player in toronto you know for me like this kind of music had never it was never like cool it was never my cohort it was never my peers playing it i was always playing it as a kid with older people so in my mind it was like not cool at all so when they came back and this movement started and this music was suddenly like in the streets like i remember meeting like there was like a big party on the street on queen street we shut the street down after a party at la palette and then everyone's playing like Balkan rhythms and stuff. I was like, what? My mom also does Balkan dancing and I'd been mm -hmm. going to Balkan dancing with her since I was like, since I can remember. So they were playing all these Balkan rhythms. I'm like, what the hell? And I met Mer Josh was like sitting on the curb and I was like, play me at fast seven, eight. And he was mm -hmm. like, okay. You know what that, and I started singing La Comida, La Mañana, which is like a song I'd sung with my mom. And that was kind of like the first song that like Ventanas played. And to me, it was unbelievable that like people like who were my peers and my friends and stuff like that were playing this music that I'd always grown up with thinking of like as nothing to do with my peers and friends and cohort, right? So I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, and then, and so Ventanas were created, oh yeah, just when I needed an oud player, mm -hmm. I was like, guys, we really need an oud player who's like young and cool and like really good and preferably from Greece or Turkey because he'll know all the, or she'll know all the repertoire, mm -hmm. right? And the rhythms and stuff like that and then one day josh was like oh i think i know one of those <laughs> and yep. he called dimitri <laughs> yes right which is yep. cool because you just interviewed him 
Yes. And uh, he came into my kitchen. I remember he brought his oud. I'm like, oh, hi. And we just, he just started playing. I started singing. And it was like immediate. We're like, yeah, perfect. You know, and then that was sort of was the initial group of Ventanas. Um, and that lasted around two or three years in that configuration with those people. We made our first album um, that we recorded mm -hmm. in Rob Tehan's basement. He's like a film composer now who lives in LA. Uh -huh. And, uh, but like, I bought him his first speaker system in exchange for like recording that album uh, in his basement. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> so we did like a GoFundMe campaign. And then, yeah, so then, so that's kind of where my like current Toronto arts and music scene um, and community was really like cemented or like really born. And when I came back from Seville, studying flamenco and founded Ventanas during this whole Fedora Upside Down movement. And through that, like all these other things, I've toured across Canada, I've toured the States. We're supposed mm -hmm. to go on a tour this summer to Europe. Ne like, we'll Soon. see, maybe next Soon. summer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's how I started work doing plays. Okay, I'll let you ask and then I'll... No, no, that's you. great. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, exactly what, uh, like, just a free flow of, uh, of this, cool. uh, that, that's uh, history. And that even reminded me because uh, I think it was, I met you in 2014, I think, the first time. And it was because I went to this, because I was playing Darbuka, but just Arabic, like, uh, music. And then uh, Jash, actually, Jash Singh, like a very, very cool percussionist in Toronto, he ended up going to this belly dance party at this belly dance place, and I was just drumming by myself. And then he decided to join, and then uh, we were like just vibing, playing for the dancers and everything. And then uh, he said, oh, you should come check out uh, this band that I'm part of, Ventanas. And then I saw what you were doing that was like, oh, they're doing this uh, music that to me, like, as you mentioned, like, oh, okay, Balkan music. I had heard some stuff, but not really, you know? And, uh, and that reminds me, something that is, I think it's amazing. Okay, I keep talking all the time about like how cool it is in, in Toronto that we have this, especially I guess in, after 2009, 10, that started this boom of people just getting together and uh, playing different kinds of music and from all over the world, it's very cool. I think one thing that I always noticed all around the world is sort of like, we have the music that we were born with like from our country and then we like american music and british music we have the pop things that we have and we don't really venture into other things and i think sometimes mm. it's because of the lack of context right because mm -hmm. music is not just okay now let me go into a history of the music of poland it's one thing <laughs> another thing is what you did oh, what's what does it mean to be in seven eight for example right it's like oh it's this weird beat that you're not used to but then when you have like a whole party where everybody's dancing and drinking and having like uh, having fun you were introduced to it in a different way and i think what you said about being like what is cool i think it's uh, an, a very important element right because sometimes you get mm into certain things because it's what everybody listens to right you go mm -hmm. I, I i get impressed like right now i am in kiev and then i go where people primarily do not speak english for example and you go to the shopping mall and there is music from kate perry or whatever i happen to think kate perry is cool but why are you listening to this repertoire mm -hmm. specifically when you have mm -hmm. all this breadth of music and i think it's just a matter of context to be introduced so i think what like what, like with Fedora Well, it's also out. a matter of a lot of money and marketing. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? These traditional, you know, musics in like, you know, a village in Turkey or something, <clears throat> sorry, they're not gonna have the money to like get that music played in their mall in Kiev. 
but Katy Perry has the money and the backing to get her music played there. Hmm. So yeah. that's a lot of it, I think. Having yeah. done a little bit of, um, you know, I've d I did a program a couple of years ago at Canada's Music Incubator in Toronto, artist entrepreneurship program that I got a scholarship for, and it was like really an insight into the pop music industry. Um, it, I mean, it changed my, a lot of people in the world music industry think that pop music industry or rock or whatever the, the popular music industry is like all evil and all they care about is money and image and all this stuff. Basically, mm -hmm. that's kind of like the underlying feeling, I think. And you're a sellout if you do it and all these things. But actually attending this program, I was like, oh, actually, everybody in this program also wants to produce good music, not just in the program, but in the industry, wants to produce good music. They just, their opinion of good music is different from that of world musicians right that's all mm -hmm. it's a matter of opinion and because yep. so many more people think that that is good music or, or are exposed to it you know the market is bigger it's not it's not because somebody's good or bad or anything it's just a matter of what you think is good music right because everyone was like the goal is always the song and to make the song good we're only going to promote it we're going to market it if the song is good if the song is good and i was like well what makes a good song right yeah. always the question i don't know yeah, I anyway, that's just also who is listening to and who is nodding. <clears throat> yeah, and, and who has life. the exposure to it? Because if you've never heard anything, you've never heard something, if you've never heard a 7-8 rhythm, you're, it's going to sound weird to you. But if you hear it 10 times, 20 times, we're creatures of habit and familiarity really makes us think that we like something or leads us to like something. You know, if you see the same person every day, you know, in the end, you'll probably huh. be friends just yeah, because you see them every day. Important. Yeah, yeah, hugely important. So if you play a song over and over again, causes that familiarity. I mean, even I've watched like Max Martin is one of the biggest songwriting um, songwriters in the world. Uh, he's written like hits from like Hit Me Baby One More Time, Britney Spears to like oh. Days hits with Ariana Grande and Katy Perry also. So 20 years of writing hits like back to back, you know, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls, like all, all the major hits he's probably had a hand in. Um, and one of his like songwriting tips is like a rules of thumb, I guess, is that you use the first, uh, you use the melody that you're gonna ha have in the chorus, you use it as the verse, right? Uh. Maybe you change something, like you drop a different beat, you change the words or something like that. But by the time you get to the chorus and you drop the chorus within the first 50 seconds today in today's like, huh. you know, acid, no attention span world. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get to the chorus, you've already heard the, you've already heard the melody in the verse. Even if you don't realize, the average person isn't gonna maybe realize yeah, yeah, yeah. that. But so you're already familiar with the melody. So you're like, oh yeah, I like this. I, I feel like I heard it before, you know? Mm -hmm. You're already predisposed to like the chorus to and therefore like the song, but just because of familiarity, you know what I mean? So I think, anyway, I don't remember why we're talking about this, but I think no, no, that no, has no, a lot to do. So if you play the same music over and over again, and then if you play something new from a different culture you've never heard before, it's gonna sound weird. But if you hear it a bunch, it starts yeah. sounding normal, you're liking it. I haven't never thought of it from the engineering point of view of uh, engineering music. I mean, like uh, the songwriting <laughs> element from a uh, like pop uh, mm -hmm. like point of view. It's very, very cool. And like I, there's a lot of like pop music that I really like. And if you think even like very simple folk songs that survive two, three hundred years, right? They are sometimes very simple to, to play. And it's not about yeah. the, they have a catchy melody. And one of the things that I noticed, I don't know, probably you have this uh, like uh, too, but uh, like sometimes you start listening, let's say I start listening to, uh, let's say Serbian music and then someone goes into, I don't know, like Gusta Mi Magla, stuff that you sing a lot and everybody like it's a, sort of like one of those songs that is very easy to, I think it's Serbian, right? Yeah. And they, um, and they That's get like, 
And then all possible. the people that have listened to this for a long time, to them, it's like playing stairway to heaven again. Please no, like that kind of stuff, right? And I was thinking how even like in the Arabic music, you have like uh, those uh, mushahats like uh, Lama Bati Apatana, or you have like all this uh, like cool music that whenever you hear for the first time, because the melody is so powerful or like the structure or something about the music is so cool, you really hook even people that are not into like world music. You think, oh, that's such a yeah, beautiful to, melody. It's very repetitive, right? Yeah. And so you then, get used to it. Quickly. Yeah, and then there are songs that are really like I find it. I don't know if you, if you I actually want to run this idea by you because I don't know. Like I was thinking that it's very much to do also with your experience, very related to food. Like if you oh, yeah. only ate food of one specific thing, suddenly someone gets you. Or do you want to eat some sushi, or do you want to eat this? I don't know whatever other thing from different culture you will find much more difficult to deal with mm -hmm. the tastes and uh, what to expect than if you're already used to tasting from everything. And I find mm -hmm. like this, uh, like let's say mixture, not mixture necessarily, but this spread of different cuisines around the world is happening a little bit ahead. That's my optimistic view, a little bit ahead of the, the music part. You know, like hmm. we're starting to have like you go yeah. to, to Brazil and then people start listening to like besides, let's say, Brazilian music and besides um, like American music and some rock and roll, uh, you will start listening a little bit of, let's say, folk from uh, Celtic bands from this place hmm. or even on heavy metal things. There's some heavy more like folk metal things. So what's mm -hmm. this? Oh, someone's playing hurdy-gurdy. So you start being introduced to these other things and then when you hear like a band that is basically world music stuff it's like oh i've heard this you have some way to get hooked into like mm. from something that you have familiar i don't know something that i was thinking about like this relationship yeah, i wonder cuisine. why that is why food is getting adopted quicker throughout the world i don't know i mean i guess maybe because necessity we have to eat every day <laughs> we don't have to listen to music every day We'll die if we don't eat. We won't die. I mean, we'll die. Our souls will die. Yeah. But we won't die if we don't listen to music. So maybe that's why it's faster. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it could thought. be also one thing that I've been thinking because uh, I was talking to Danny about this and I was talking before even to Judith that is, uh, people can check on the podcast too. That's just an audio, but he was talking about he's basically reconstructing instruments from, um, from Ukraine from old times. And one of the things that both he said that happened in Ukraine and they happened in Brazil, I know, and they happened also in the Arabic world. And as far as I know, it happened in, uh, in uh, Greece as well. That was the music was, that was traditional was actually suppressed. And they said, oh, mm -hmm. no, we're going to play, like in the case of Greece, was like, we're not going to play any Turkish stuff. We're just going to play just what, quote unquote, pure uh, Greek yeah. in Ukraine, they, he was Yurith was even telling me like the original Bandura had a different scale, different construction. Oh. Yeah, and then the, the one we have now is actually the Soviet one. So the main oh. instrument of Ukraine, the way it's played, is with like very Western scales and uh, and all mm -hmm. this. So there is sort of like a sort of like control of uh, identity through music that I think definitely it can be very nationalistic. Yeah, for sure. But that actually reminds me of something that we can talk to to go back into your uh, like um, story. That is, I guess, this happened with Sephardic music, but in a very cool way, right? Like that you have music that started in Spain, and then with the migration, it started going other places. So it started mm -hmm. adapting things from those cultures, right? Or you start putting yeah. a song 
in like in Morocco and then it has one specific beat and then the same song in Turkey will be in 9-8 or in 11 mm -hmm. or something. Can you talk a little bit, even for people just having in mind that sometimes people will not know what Sephardic music is, can sure. you talk a little bit about that, uh, that, uh, that Yeah, of course. Yeah. So just quickly, Sephardic music is the music of the Jews who were expelled from Spain in 1492 during the Great Inquisition and uh, the Spanish, the Iberian Peninsula used to be called Sefarad. So people from Sefarad were Sefaradim. So the, Sefarad, the Sephardic Jews, okay, are mm -hmm. the Jews from Sefarad. Okay, so when they were expelled from Spain, they moved, um, some converted to Christianity, and there's a, that's a whole other story. But um, they migrated to Morocco, a lot of them, um, Greece, Turkey, and the Balkans, primarily. Okay, so all of those around the Mediterranean um, regions. That's actually the music my mom was studying a lot when I was a kid and why I went to those regions. We'd go to old age homes and villages and try and find people who sang very old Sephardic songs um, and record them before they passed away and record that music and then learn it and then perform it as a way of preservation. Um, again, not cool to go to old age homes when you're like eight years old. Cool now to talk about. I had to be very quiet. They pinched my cheeks a lot. I read a lot of books. I read like the Lord of the Rings, all of them in like one summer. And, like, <laughs> okay. I made a lot of friendship bracelets. There were no phones. We hitchhiked. We took buses. My mom had like a stack of bus schedules like that. And she'd like be filtering through them. We'd have to go to like the village bar, use the phone to call the next village bar and like ask if Maria was there and they'd go to her house and they'd see. Anyway, this is complicated traveling. But <laughs> uh, anyway, all that to say, so I'm sure it was even more complicated in 1492, okay, when the Jews got expelled and they went to all these places. So with them, they brought um, an old form of Spanish, the Spanish that was spoken at the time, obviously. And uh, it's now referred to as Ladino, which is actually um, literally the written form of, of uh, Sephardic, the Sephardic, the Spanish that the Sephardic Jews speak. It's written in he it's Spanish, written in Hebrew characters. But now it's kind of, and each country had its own um, dialect. So it would be called different things like Gidio or Spanish or Judeo-Spanish or in Morocco it's called Hachetilla. But now people just use Ladino to refer to all of those dialects and in general, the language of the Sephardic Jews, which is, if you understand Spanish, you can pretty much understand it. There's different pronunciations, different words. And in each country they would borrow um, different words and expressions from from that country just you know humans being so adaptive that's what we do you know if you're living mm -hmm. in brazil for 500 years you're going to start you know using portuguese words it's mm -hmm. just going to happen right <laughs> even if you are a different you know community um so they uh yeah so in like morocco they would use arabic words and turkey turkish words and then the same thing happened with the music so they whatever music and stories they came with um, so you can find the same ballads, the same romances, the same stories in a lot of the songs in different countries, but the names have changed in the story, the name of the king or whatever it is. Um, the melody has changed and the rhythm has often changed. Okay, so that maybe the same st story will be told in 7-8 in Greece or Turkey, and then it'll be told in 6-8 in Morocco, which is more Moroccan rhythm. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it'll be like a free-form ballad in another place or you know what I mean it'll, it'll, or slow seven eight less not two in the, in the Balkans sort of adapted and so same with the melodies so that's why Sephardic music sounds often so Arabic because it was so influenced by Arabic maqam in these countries that they that they moved to do you know what I mean mm -hmm. um so and then they use local instruments so they would use the oud the darbuka um so it's a lot of similarities to Arabic music because that's where they were living 
So it just makes a lot of sense. And that's also the food that they made. So Sephardic food is like, it's not all across, like it, it just depends on the country. There are some, a lot of similarities, right? But then, mm-hmm. uh, with just with influence from living in the country, the food, the language, the music, the rhythms, would all, like you said, context, right? They would yeah. all kind of infuse the Sephardic culture and tradition and musical repertoire. And that's what you hear today is sort of like a mix of like the archaic stuff with like what was happening in the, in the country. Or they would take a melody might say the same in all those places, but then they would put different words on it. So mm-hmm. that happened kind of all at the same time. So Sephardic repertoire is really um, related, although it has a lot of links and the, the base of the language is still Spanish. Um, it has, and some of the stories are the same, some of the melodies are the same in all these different countries. It's been over 500 years, right? Since that um, immigration happened, expulsion mm-hmm. happened. So things have changed and really uh, adapted. So it's really related to the country that they're in. So you have Turkish Sephardic music, you have Moroccan Sephardic music, you have Balkan Sephardic music, and really you can hear the roots of each culture like infusing mm-hmm. Sephardic music. Yet it has those links and it's still all Mediterranean, right? So there are still like people would still travel, move around and influence each other. So there's a lot of links still. And mm-hmm. that's also the link that we're hearing with flamenco. People often think flamenco and Sephardic music was like very, is like the same or a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, the, the Roma, the gypsy people in Spain, of course, are really to say gypsies. And in the Balkans, they tend to use Roma. But, um, you know, if you think of Rachodrome, their migration mm-hmm. from, or this way, I guess, reverse, mm-hmm. from India, <laughs> from Rajasthan, through Europe into the, into the south of Spain. And um, the, the, that was like in the 1500s, maybe. And the Jews were kind of going the other way, you know. So they might have, they might have crossed paths and indirectly influenced each other, right? But... It's really like mm-hmm. opposite mig- migratory routes. Oh, interesting. So I hadn't thought of that. They would definitely uh-huh. have influences, and, and the gypsies or the Roma would have picked up influences along the way from each of those countries that they went through in northern, the northern shores of the Mediterranean. Do you know what I mean? And then there's influence, of course. The, the Moors, the Arabs lived in the south of Spain for 900 years, eight, 900 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and were kicked out at the same time the Jews were kicked out, uh, 1492. So, and they came up from the south from from uh, Africa, you know, from right. Northern Africa up into Spain. So there's like all these convergences happening in Flamenco and that's, that influenced the way that it sounds. And at the same time, the Jews were leaving and bringing the sound of Spain with them to the, e- to the East. So there's a lot of like crossover and that's a mixing of cultures, kind of like, you know, the day in Toronto a little bit. Yeah. But that's why they might sound similar, but they were never, to my understanding, in the same <laughs> place at the same time. Yeah. Kind of like reverse huh. effect. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And so, let's and those are my two specialties. Those two, right? Yeah. yeah. The and the and the cool thing I mentioned first, like uh, I was gonna get into into uh, like flamenco, like uh, next, but just to, to to mention this thing with the Sephardic music that I find so fascinating, is besides having the like the, the music being beautiful, and then you can have this, let's say, interpretations across the centuries that is uh, like of uh, same motifs and things that are very interesting. I think it's very cool because because of the let's say the how the Jewish community stayed connected and they didn't like disperse and got like uh, completely assimilated in their different cultures they kept that thing and so it's like a li- uh, it's a living representation of something that sometimes gets forgotten in other places of the mm-hmm. world and I find like one thing that I was mm-hmm. talking to Demi how sometimes people are so obsessed 
especially with nationalistic tendencies and things like, oh, this is from our land and we are the best and all those things. And when you get examples of like with, uh, with, with Sephardic music, you can see that there is this, we get things from different cultures and we still make it our own and we remember mm -hmm. our ancestors, but it's a dynamic mm -hmm. thing. We're not just saying it's going to be rigidly how it was in a certain time and fixed. Mm -hmm. But we're letting things get introduced, and it's—I think it's mm -hmm. the best way to show sometimes that. Uh, I think it was Amirali from the Khan Museum when they was talking to him, and he um, he said, "I have to, I have to give uh, uh, like the kudos to him because he said the best phrase I've seen because we're talking about oh this instrument is from this place, but it actually, if you look historically, it was influenced by this other one, and he was saying that the only thing pure is the mixture." Mm -hmm. and I like that. Like, well, also, if you think about it in the past, we didn't have recording devices. So if you heard a song, you might remember it wrong. You might remember it differently the next time you sang it. So it would naturally change. Even if it's one note that changes, if it's one note every time, right. you know, or one phrase every time, then the song will change over time. Just because broken telephone kind of happens yeah. over the centuries, right? Now, yeah. now it's easier to preserve things and like try and keep them exact and stuff like that. But then, I mean, things are always going to change. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's evolution. And, that, and that's one of those things that like, maybe you can talk a little bit about like, uh, it's interesting this point of the like crossing migrations, but when you have like flamenco music, right? That started like sort of like in Spain and everything. So can you tell a little, break a little bit down of a flamenco, like for people that let's say, maybe they heard that there is, okay, there is a guy singing and then a girl singing and then there is like someone playing guitar sure. and there is a dancer mm -hmm. and lately there is a cajon or other instruments. So let's get sure. a little bit into, into that. Yeah. So like I said, flamenco originated sort of, the roots of flamenco are often traced back to uh, Northern India, Rajasthan. Um, and the migration of the Roma from there. And uh, they, they moved through Europe, through Turkey, through Hungary, um, through the Balkans, into Italy, into France, and down into Spain. There was also, like I said, the Moors that were in, the, in that area for a very long time and come up a lot in flamenco verses. They talked a lot about these things. And um, also like local Spanish folklore was there, a lot of rhythms and threes um, that you find throughout Spain. And flamenco is really from the south of Spain, Andalusia. It's not from the north. Franco, the dictator that was in Spain until 1975, um, really used flamenco as like a unifying force to present to the world, like as a branding, as an image. This is Spain, mm -hmm. flamenco, you know, mm -hmm. bullfighters, you know. Mm -hmm. And the people in the north were like, what? That has nothing to do with us. They have like bagpipes and stuff in Galicia. You know, it's really Celtic influence. Okay. And then in Catalonia, it's like a different language. They speak and like where Barcelona is, they speak Catalan and they're like more Phoenician influence and like very international port to the, to the rest of the um, Mediterranean. Um, and then in Basque country, they speak some, another Euskadi that's like people don't even know where that language is from. So there's like a lot of very different cultures in Spain, really flamencos in the south um, in Andalusia. So all these influences happen and resulted in what we, oh, the first time flamenco was actually dubbed flamenco uh, in like a newspaper like published was only in 1852 so as music goes as traditional music goes it's like relatively new you know my mom's a medievalist so that's like considered very modern <laughs> okay huh. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it was really um first in people's homes 
I was really in the marginalized society, like the gypsy Roma society that lived in like the wrong, literally on the wrong side of the river in Seville in a town, in a, the other side was called Triana. There was no bridges. They couldn't get into Seville. They'd have to go around. It was like the slums, kind of the ghettos, um, really poor marginalized societies. Also in Granada, they lived in, they still live in, in, in the caves facing the Alhambra. Um, now some of the caves have like electricity and stuff, but it's still like the side of a mountain caves that the, the gypsies of Roma were living in. And uh, so kind of all along, like really like the train route from like the top of Andalusia, Andalusia to the south, Jerez, Cadiz, all these major flamenco places. Um, and uh, it, so it started in people's homes as like a family would gather and everyone would sing, Ale, Aza, uh, Aza, uh, right? And then it's really, the base of flamenco is really the song and the body. So what you can do when you have, you know, think about it, if you ha don't have a lot of money, you're not gonna be buying a lot of instruments, right? You're gonna be getting food for your family. So whatever you have, you don't need anything for flamenco, you just need yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So it would be in a gathering, informal, normally, and it's very individualistic. So one person sings at a time or one person dances at a time because it's a lot of improv. There are general rules and forms and within those forms, you, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of improv, traditionally speaking. Okay, now it's like a world stage and group choreographies and all these things, also amazing. But if, if you trace it back to the traditional roots, it's, it's like in kind of like a circle, think people are sitting around a kitchen table kind of thing, like a lot of folk music, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then one person like starts singing and another person gets inspired, gets up and dances, okay? And then maybe the next person, next person, everyone, ole, okay, at the end of it. And it can last all night in one rhythm. There's no beginning and end of the song. It's like you're within a rhythm, like you're in a seven, eight. And once you're in that rhythm, you can just go, go, go. Every singer will have a, their own repertoire of verses. Every dancer has their moves. Every guitarist has their, you know, falsetas, their string of melodies. And how you put them together, like a puzzle is like different every time. And it can go on for five minutes or it can go on for five hours. We'll see. And then you can maybe change rhythms, do the same thing in the next rhythm. Okay, so as things started getting more modern, that people now have like, flamenco songs and they build them more like pop songs with like the verse and the chorus and the bridge and all these things but traditionally it's just like verses standalone verses in a rhythm and you can insert them anywhere and the next singer can insert a verse insert a verse and it can be in any order that you want traditionally speaking and mm -hmm. like the the opposite to pop music which is so interesting is like a big compliment in flamenco is if you write an original verse and nobody knows that you wrote it because it sounds so normal and so traditional that you've succeeded in creating something that like looks like it was always there, you know? Oh. In pop music, it's like you're successful if everybody knows you wrote it, right? It's like the opposite, it's very interesting. Oh, interesting. But, uh, but a similarity that I found in pop music and flamenco is that it's a, a, they're both written to be very personal and very general. So you can hear any pop song, you know, there's always exceptions, but in general, you hear a pop song, it could be about anybody, but you can think of it about you. Oh my God, I loved him so much and then he left me. So generic but you can identify with it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and flamenco is like a lot of the same idea. It's like very generic let the, versus like, oh, I ran away from my family to be with you and then you left me, right? But once you sing it, it becomes personal and that's where you get the emotion. You like it, you know, and everyone adapts it and makes it their own, even if you're singing generic uh, verses. So anyways, all that to say, the base of flamenco is singing, dance, rhythm, a lot of rhythm and, uh, encouragement which is called jaleo ole vamos toma mm -hmm. okay and then maybe there's like a guitar 
that was a descendant of the Oud, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really all that flamenco was originally. There was in the 50s um, a guitarist called Paco de Lucia that brought in the cajon, like you said. Mm -hmm. It was originally a Peruvian traditional instrument. Mm -hmm. I think the story goes that he saw some guy on the street in Peru playing the cajon. He was like, that's amazing, let's bring that in. Yeah. And so that changed the face of flamenco um, worldwide. He also um, toured a lot and played with like the Beatles and all these things and made flamenco very well known. Um, yeah, now, and he also brought other jazz instruments and influences. He was the first to kind of have a flamenco band with harmonica and bass and drums and all these things. And uh, that's, and that's sort of like started flamenco fusion, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great. Now that's there's perfect. dance schools everywhere. Oh, and flamenco also has a lot of influence from the Americas, right? right in the Spaniards, also in 1492, <laughs> a lot of happened in that year. Uh, yeah. When in conquered the Americas, they would bring back, um, you know, songs and, and language, everything, rhythms from, there's a subgenre <laughs> in flamenco called Cantes de Ida y Vuelta, songs of coming and going. That's mm. like Colombianas, obviously influence from Colombia, Guajiras, influence from Cuba, Milonga, different things influence from the Americas. So it's also like a mixture of things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, one thing, <coughs> like, that, that's a uh, very cool, uh, like, um, like that was a very compact and nice uh, version of like what uh, flamenco is and uh, i think one of the the cool things like you were talking about being so personal one thing that i think for people that will listen to it and uh, will have uh, like what i want to have for this show is to have like a spotify playlist with like your songs or things that sure. like you think people should listen to and then people can get like uh, uh, a taste cool. of how it sounds but like one of the things that i always found like so interesting in in flamenco that it was like the way the cante the way that the the the, the, the singer sings that we're saying so personal and it's all about the emotion and sometimes they're as you're saying like it's so cool that they're uh like creating the sometimes the lyrics even on the on the on the spot and it's something this is so ancient right that is even stories of like i don't know in mesopotamia people like telling tales and inventing things and the fact that people would think that it's traditional it's sort of like oh you hit the zeitgeist you hit the mm -hmm. you hit the universality of that mm -hmm. right? and uh, you're in that group but can you talk a little bit about the the specific way that is sung because that's like there is the flamenco way of like singing and i don't know sure. if that's like that's actually, I actually mm -hmm. don't really know if it's a technique thing, if it's a scale mm -hmm. thing, if it's a mood, it's a right. way to project, or how does that work? Well, I think a lot of people, um, so many questions. Um, a I'm lot, sorry, it's yeah. a lot Just in the like no, it's music. good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now you'll have to ask uh, a musician a bit more, but a lot of the flamenco scales are in Phrygian mode. So you get the, what sounds like, uh, Right, which also, I think my understanding is that it's close to hijaz a lot in the mm -hmm. makam, okay? okay? Um, and that's called the flamenco cadence. Flamencos call it the flamenco cadence. And uh, so it gives kind of that sad, that low second, that flat second. It's not a major scale. So happy. There are some, like Alegrias, there are some flamenco stuff in major, but a lot of it's like, uh, right, that like minor sounding kind of. So that's 
um, very common in flamenco. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah, the, the, the technique, I guess, in flamenco. Yeah, like uh, what I mean, that's debatable. So difficult. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the biggest thing in flamenco is that you make it personal and you put emotion in. So instead of singing like, however that comes out for you, you have to infuse, or you can be happy. Right? But think if it's a marginalized people, often a lot of hardship. So it's normal that they maybe were a little bit not as happy. Although it's also for parties. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. It's very emotional. It's not really a lot of people ask me if I'm dancing or I'm singing. Like, what's the story you're telling? You're not necessarily telling like a story like, from beginning to end. Um, it's more about like what, what the emotion in the moment. So some rhythms are like sadder. They talk a lot about death. Some talk about like love and the loss thereof. Some are like happy. Oh, the girls in the street are so pretty. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like more like emotional you know, bubbles, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because you're really infusing emotion in flamenco and that is considered more important than being perfectly in tune, which to me right. is very interesting. In yeah. other cultures, it's not, right? You want to be in tune. Like, yeah, which is what like, appeals to me in flamenco and all the, the other things. It's like you're trying to yeah. be like something like more authentic and not worry that much about the, the perfect, the like quote unquote perfection, which is sort of like a way mm -hmm. to hide as well. But well, the perfection in flamenco is the emotion and the rhythm, right? So if you're not in the rhythm, it's also like failure, okay? Yes. It's like there's no point. You can do all this complicated stuff. You can sing in tune, but you're not in the rhythm. So what's the point? So same with dancing, with singing. So it's a lot about the rhythm and the emotion. Then, then you can have a thing called quejillo. It's like you're almost like crying. Right? You're like crying like oh. actually crying for a second, that's a technique in, in flamenco. And then uh, it's also like you project from, it's almost like your voice is in front of you. It's not like, uh, it's, uh, okay. And, and uh, it's not head voice. Uh, it's it's uh, like, some people call it throat or chest voice, but like really your whole face. Uh, instead of, uh, mm -hmm. right? So that's like some of, some of the things some there's like a debate of course like some people want more raspy voices and some people consider that to be more like the authentic uh, gypsy way of sounding uh -huh, like you're more raspy some people have in huelva they're like a lot more floreo like uh, like like those uh, mm -hmm. decorations um some people like really strain their voices uh, right to get like that raspy sound or they smoke a lot and drink a lot um so i've tried different things over the years and in the end i just like try and sing it how I like the most. So if you have taken influence from like Sephardic um, ornamentation or like Balkan ways of singing and different things like that. And uh, and just kind of like now I've made it my own, which I think uh -huh. is also very flamenco because you're supposed to make it your own, right? So Yeah, and yeah. that's actually the point where like we're getting to, to the end because I know you have to go work. But one thing that is sort of like on, um, on a more personal level, like... Um, because I, I don't think in an uh, outside of a podcast or video like a situation I would be able to ask you this unless we're really drunk after like parties and stuff. But no, um, you can ask me. I would have thought about at least uh, asking you this. But one thing that I notice like whenever I go into certain cultures, like you always try to imagine what it was like in certain contexts. Again, going back to that idea of context, like 
how would it be to like play this music at night in a in a cave or like having very big like a big hardship that if you don't play tonight you may not eat or like someone stabbed you or like whatever thing was happening in a person's life and uh, you hear the emotion that is from people that and of course emotion is a universal thing you don't need to go through complete hardship to like feel things but at the same time one thing i notice as i get older is like and you play, you go through something in your life. Mm-hmm. And that not only reminds you of a song, but you're like, oh, I get it. Now I get it. Or like you go perform mm-hmm. with that sometimes rage or sadness or something. And for you as a singer, it's probably even uh, more evident because you're trying to portray, right? You want to be the mirror to this thing that is bubbling inside. So did you have an experience like uh, on your like years of singing like flamenco and even the like Sephardic music that you were like, you heard this before a certain emotion and now you actually internalize and get it mm-hmm. from like the experience you had? Yeah. Um, I mean, you can always use, everyone has heartbreak in their life that you can use to sing. <laughs> in fact, uh, you know, Dennis, my, my guitar player, the original guitar player in Ventanas used to tell me I sang better when I was upset. <laughs> it's like uh, it's good that you're upset today because I'll sing better. I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but uh <laughs> you can imagine. But uh yeah. Um I mean people say flamenco is a way of life, so it's not just about hardship, it's like the way you do everything, the way you feel things, or the way you experience things, how you're always in it, kind of in the in flamenco, but and Sephardic music is more about you're like a storyteller. So you don't, it's not really about your personal emotion. You're just kind of conveying a story unrelated to you. So it's very mm-hmm. different in that sense. Um, flamenco, I guess, I mean, a fun, an interesting thing that happened to me in flamenco school is one of my teachers said that since I wasn't from there, I'd never be able to sing flamenco. And it happened in like the first month of like a 10 month program. I'd never be able to sing flamenco and I shouldn't even try and like just put me down so much. And it was like mm-hmm. so upsetting. Also, I was like, then why are you a teacher in a school full of foreigners? But anyway, <laughs> but it was like so heartbreaking because I'd been dedicating so much of my life to this. And like, I thought I thought of myself as a singer and it really like, really hurt me in a lot of ways. But then I, and we were learning like one of the deepest flamenco styles called Seguirias, mm-hmm. which is a lot about pain and, and death. And I, and I ended up infusing that like, and I went home crying like for two days. I'm like, so upset. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, when I was singing that piece, I would just think like, you just use that um, kind of hurt and pain that my teacher had inadvertently given me kind of and converting it into song. Like I was so upset that I was like crying while I was singing this, this song. And maybe that's not what the song is necessarily about or the style, you know, it's more talks about, about death or heartbreak, but that I, I was able to use that pain and it lasted me like until now it was like almost 10 years ago and it still like you know feeds that still there style. so yeah it wasn't like a huge event in my life but it was definitely like an emotional impact that allowed me to I think sing the style better I don't think that was her intention but that was the result <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting yeah like yeah. this happens whenever you are let's say quote-unquote other like me like Brazil. Uh, that's one of those questions I heard from the beginning, and uh, it's like, oh, so you're Brazilian? Yeah. Are you, are you, you have so many drums in Brazil. Why are you listening? Why are you playing the barbuca? And for Yana, like my no. wife, like, oh, you were, you were like 
Ukrainian girl, you're not doing Ukrainian dance, you're doing belly dance, Persian dance. Like, uh, it's, uh, it's how it percolates. It's everything. hard for people to understand sometimes, and I've, it's closed a lot of doors for me. They're like, oh, you're from Canada, we want a real Spaniard, or we want a real Sephardic person, or something like that. I am Jewish, but Ashkenazi, which is not Sephardic. So uh, it has, like, it has had its difficult moments in North America, for sure, where they really don't understand, and they want to, they think that the like they just want to like write grants that say like oh we yeah. have a person from Ethiopia and a person from here and a person from there and a person from there um and you get discarded if you're not it's a very yeah. interesting yeah it's phenomenon a the way that I here. put it is a cult of fake authenticity yeah it's not about like how good you are how much you've studied or how much you've lived in the culture because usually when you live in a culture and you study that culture my teacher was an anomaly like usually the people are very like honored and, and oh, yeah. they love the fact that you're taking the time and the interest to really learn their culture really live with them really explore it and really and then t transmit it to the world on their behalf like most people are, are very honored it's really people from the outside that judge not people from the inside oh for sure so mm -hmm. but that's okay you know yeah and Everyone i guess even even when you think about it it's like even let's say the 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 experience of most Jewish families is sort of like that even in the Sephardic world because they were coming to different places and you're like oh you're other you're not us right yeah. so it's it always has that kind of thing but we will uh, teach them better one song at a time right? so, <laughs> <Ale>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with that, one other thing, just to finish off, like let's get people to go to hamadilana.com, sure. where else uh, in, on Instagram, uh, yeah, like everywhere, and uh, that's the hub, like that's the best place to for people to go find your stuff, like mm -hmm. your website. There on Instagram is both. Both are good. Yeah, you are one of those rare musicians that actually uses Instagram and uses social <laughs> media, and like let's put stuff. So out much there. fun. Yeah. And um, and so people can can go there. We'll get some links to you. Have four yeah, albums with cool. uh, Ventanas, right? Three, uh, three, three, three albums with Ventanas. All oh, right. Yeah, the first mm -hmm. Ventanas and uh, the one in two thousand twelve, Lumbre, and the the next and the last one is last year, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So it's uh, I highly recommend people should go check it out. Thank you. Yeah, Tamara, thank you so much for joining me. It was really thank cool. I'm glad to see you from Muchas afar, gracias. and hopefully. We'll get out of quarantine and uh, oh my god, and play music together. Yes. <laughs> so that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the Wanderings podcast. You can find show notes and links at pedrobonato.com slash podcast. If you like the show, I would love if you could share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on all social media at Pedro Bonato. I would love to hear from you. You can find my photography work at pedrobonato.com. The music for the Wanderings podcast is provided by the Blue Dot Ensemble, a music and dance group exploring traditions from all over the planet, where I am one of the founders and the lead drummer. You can find us at bluedotensemble.com. So tune in next week for another show. Until then, I urge you to keep following your curiosity, and I'm looking forward to our next Wanderings together. 